0: yes you have come to the right place formerly the living out podcast this is now the think queerly podcast and i'm your host darren Steele, as always talking about issues of queer thought leadership, diversity, and LGBTQ social justice. So before I get into today's episode, let me do a little bit of housekeeping. And and I've talked about this maybe hmm, 15 episodes ago, thinking I was going to change the name, the branding of my podcast from Living Out to Think Queerly. And here's why. Well, I have my own publication, where I also publish other writers than just myself, called Think Queerly on Medium. And I want to bring together more queer thought leadership in one place, because I think by definition, queer isn't singular. Queer is a different way of seeing, of being, of perceiving. And queer leadership requires a multitude, a community working together. Now, I may be talking about aspects perhaps of coaching and personal growth and change, and that's where I will point you to darrensteel.com specifically for that information. But I find I'm not easily contained into a singular subject matter. You may follow other podcasts where perhaps somebody is a coach and all they talk about is coaching, or somebody is an artist or a creator, and that's all that they're focused on. And that's fantastic. I follow those people as well. But my interests are broad and my interests are, I guess, by definition, interdisciplinary. I'm looking at a lot of subject matter that overlaps, that intersects. And what does that all mean? So you'll have noticed that the name of the podcast has changed to Think Queerly. There could be over a couple of days some disruption while all the various feeds to the different podcast players are updating and there will be a uniform podcast image that is the same one I use on my Medium publication. The Medium co- uh, publication, I have a little bit of play. I have TH-INK capital I-N-K, because that's about the writing, the written word. And Think Queerly for the podcast is written as two words. You can get directly to both the podcast and the Medium publication by going to thinkqueerly.com. And I may get another uh, URL, maybe Think Queerly podcast in the future. I'm not quite sure yet. So that, I think... Takes care of the housekeeping. So let's get into today's episode, which is a continuation of my way of queer leadership. And I want to talk about how queer leadership is grounded first in leadership of the self, of self leadership. Now, this morning I was reading The Guardian and looking at everything that's happening in the world today. This is the first of October that I'm recording this. The impeachment proceedings against the current president of the United States, the climate change that's going on and the future of the unborn and and the future of people that are just children and teenagers and what life on this planet might be like for them, about the socially acceptable racism in well-known countries and, and the ongoing sexism as well as the prejudice against LGBTQ people. And it's not like this dawned upon me, oh my goodness, we have a serious problem with re- uh, leadership. It, it just connected with a conversation I was having with my friend Jeffrey Yovanone last night, who I've had on the podcast uh, before, is that most likely, most traditional forms of leadership are leaning towards the masculine and in the sense of power, Uh, enforcement, perhaps on the extreme end, going into autocracy, dictatorship, rigid ideologies, and so on that I've talked about before. So when I talk about queer leadership, this is the way of looking at how we've constructed and understood leadership up to this point and what that means. And so the question I have is how can we create communities of LGBTQ leadership, which includes our allies to work together for a better humanity, that humanity of belonging. Now, originally, I wanted to use the phrase equal human rights, something I'm sure that you want to work towards as well. But it struck me that striving for rights implies a never-ending struggle. And when we improve the rights for some people, what about the others who are left behind or left out or ignored? How then do we create a better humanity, a humaneness in our treatment of every other person we meet and encounter or hear about? Let's look at A generic definition of leadership, and perhaps I'm biased in making this choice. But when I refer to leadership and queer leadership, my starting point is how each of us lead ourselves with the intention and capacity to create improvement at the level of society and evolution at the level of the normative definitions that have been used to define and teach traditional leadership. In her book, Dare to Lead, Brene Brown defines a leader in this way. Anyone who takes responsibility for finding the potential in people and processes and who has the courage to develop that potential. I think it's really important for this larger discussion of a humanitarian leadership, of a of queering leadership, to also include the further discussion from Brene Brown in which she says, From corporations, nonprofits, and public sector organizations to governments, activist groups, schools, and faith communities, we desperately need more leaders who are committed to courageous whole-hearted leadership and who are self-aware enough to lead from their hearts rather than unevolved leaders who lead from hurt and fear so while traditional leadership is often framed within the container of a single person at the top of a pyramid leading or directing others from the top down or individuals choosing to follow a single leader for that leaders teachings, or philosophy, a queer leadership seeks to be self-serving for the betterment of humanity. And by self-serving, I don't mean selfish. I don't mean self-centered in the negative sense of the words. I mean that you lead yourself first, which requires deep self-awareness, self-knowing, so that you can create the potential for the changes for the changes you want to see in the world. That queer leadership seeks to demonstrate a collective self-leadership, which reinforces a community and eventually a politics of belonging, that way of organizing ourselves for the betterment of humanity. Now, quite some time ago, I posted a question on a Facebook group that... um, is for LGBTQ professionals, and this is mostly for individuals that are uh, talking about work dynamics or finding ways of bringing more diversity into the workplace, or perhaps dealing with struggles in the workplace where, you know, they may be the only LGBTQ person and they feel alone. And at that time, I was searching for particular answers exclusively from a gay male perspective, But the responses to my question were far less limiting and it had a broader scope than what I originally thought. So the question I posed was, what is the single biggest leadership challenge you face at work as a gay man? Now, many in the group responded. I had probably at least 20 or 25 people give me some really interesting feedback, but one person's response really stood out. And he wrote, my biggest challenge is the complacency of other gay men. When I did activism work, I heard a lot about what the gay community wanted, but when the time came to actually get to work, folks would disappear. Community and civic engagement requires at least a bit of sacrifice. It seems to, to me to be easy to sit on the side and criticize. So I get it, I've seen that. I'm sure you've seen that. And I responded to him in this way. I said, I think it's important that we don't generalize and lump everyone into a single container. No matter what you do, when you work to make change in the world, a lot of people will tell you that what they want, but very few people are going to step up to serve. Much of the work in leadership is to find those key individuals who wish to serve as much as you do. It's not best to lump all men into a single category. We cannot claim that all men are toxic. We cannot say with universal truth that all gay men are complacent. Switch that up, and you can just as easily say, all gay men are sissies. It appears to me that you are experiencing a common challenge that has nothing to do with gay men per se. Rather, it's a human being challenge. So in this process, I noticed that there were a lot of problems and attitudes that need addressing. The answers or the various answers in response to my question on leadership provided a lot of insight into the challenges that we are facing in society at large, not just within our own network and communities of LGBTQ people. What these respondents showed me is that if we want to facilitate evolutionary change as queer leaders, we must be mindful of, but not limited to, the following We can't hold a negative, closed mindset that limits free thinking and critical thought. We have to be careful about defensiveness and fear of disclosure, because that's just another closet in disguise. I found that a surprising number of gay men are frightened by who they are, and they deny the expression of their gay spirit, and they are additionally challenged by their own privilege as a man, perhaps internalized homophobia, fear of the feminine, and misguided masculinity. There's a surprising amount of ignorance of history, like an almost a priori assumption that whatever rights and freedoms we have today carry no baggage or emotional wounds. And that holds people back and limits thinking more broadly and inclusively and looking at diversity as a much bigger concept. Many people seem to have seen the world through these rose-colored, or perhaps I should say pink-colored glasses, thinking that we have won our rights and freedoms. But that's dangerous thinking. Our rights can be taken away by whoever is in power, as evidenced by the current President of the United States. The same thing is happening right now in Canada with... Canada votes at the end of October, and who's going to hopefully remain in power versus people that I just feel we can't trust. Often there's this all-or-nothing polarized thinking, which is defeatist. You know, putting ideas or people into a single container like everyone or quote-unquote the radical lgbtq movement or quote-unquote that's too gay or i don't go to pride because i don't want to see naked people and you know naked men with their butts creates a whole set of challenges and then finally we need to speak in terms of our shared humanity and not in a leadership jargon that maybe you'll hear when people are talking about you know how to lead as a CEO, or how to lead a corporation, or how to lead within politics. This is about how people feel, how people want to be seen, how people want to be heard, appreciated, respected, cared for, and loved. And this is where I see the creative potential of a queer leadership, which leads to a greater politics or can engender a politics of belonging. I think a lot of LGBTQ people feel challenged to lead from the source that makes them unique, their queerness, their difference. Because that place can hold trauma, wounds, shame, personal and political history that has been very difficult, And it requires vulnerability, which the individual may not wish to share with others. And living out the truth of who you are requires great courage, bravery, and like I said, being vulnerable and trusting. Trusting not only yourself, but trusting the process. Doing that alone requires great fortitude that many of us do not possess, or a strength of character that needs empowerment from others like ourselves or who have had similar experiences who will support our efforts to be free and wholly authentic. And we're all human, we're all capable of error. We all feel, we all sometimes need to defend ourselves and feel safe. Thus, we need emotional reinforcement from those we implicitly trust during these times of great personal change, upheaval, or transformation. When we feel implicitly the freedom to fully express ourselves as who we are authentically, others around us see that best of who we are. When we let go of the container that's the closet and just live out who we are, and live demonstrably. That's how we lead without leading directly, because we indirectly enhance the lives of others by demonstrating our courage, allowing the observer to recognize their own truth as a mirror to who we are. We're not standing in judgment of them. We're simply allowing them to see those parts of who they are through who we are being authentically out and living queerly. And, for example, as much as I'm an introvert, I recognize the need for LGBTQ people to create a new narrative that will allow us to effectively and efficiently work collaboratively for the greater good of humanity. This story is based on the basic narrative structure that we all know, consciously or unconsciously, which is based on three parts and makes up all the great books, all the great stories, all the best movies you've ever seen. Part one is that the hero of the journey is confronted by an obstacle or a struggle. And part two, is the journey. The hero goes on the journey of self-discovery and faces challenges and problems and is trying to find a solution to overcome those obstacles. And the final act, part three, is the hero hopefully overcoming that obstacle and life is better than it was before. New awarenesses have been gained. And as LGBTQ people, we have long journeyed through parts one and Parts two of the hero's journey. I think it would be incorrect to assume that we have reached the traditional narrative's promised land, act three. Sure, we've witnessed many great wins. And we've overcome tremendous challenges. But we still have a lot of work to do. The rights and freedoms we've fought so hard to receive can, and in some cases, are being taken away. And in many countries, LGBTQ people have no rights whatsoever. Worst case scenario, there's laws in those countries that make LGBTQ lives not worthy of existence. So together, as queer leaders, as leading queerly in community, we need to write the third act. We need to create this narrative That makes us feel hopeful and and develop our queer leadership muscles through shared learning and interaction, reflection, support, and helping each other have the courage to be vulnerable and bravely lead from our authentic queer identity. Now, I may or may not see this third act become a tenable reality in my lifetime. But as human beings, we need something to believe in. I think we're wired that way within our brains. We need a future that we can see ourselves thriving in. So much so that we will do whatever it takes right now to make our future vision our queer reality. Now, if you remember in my last podcast, I was talking about my involvement in Queer Nation when I was at university and I was in my late 20s. And the meeting room where we all were was so emotionally intense that, you know, no one had the capacity to relax into openness. No one was capable of being receptive. And this has been one of my challenges in life. I have a temperament that makes it all too easy to be hot-headed, to jump to conclusions, and to slide right away into anger and defensiveness and completely lose all ability to be logical. Now, learning how to be more receptive and how to catch myself before I go from calm and neutral into full-on attack defensive mode has been something I've been working on (laughs) for 20 years, and I'm getting constantly better at it. But I also recognize it's very much a part of who I am, so it's something I have to be aware of. This self-work has led me to understand what it means to be in the gap. And that is the space we can experience in meditation, by taking a long walk alone in nature, and sometimes just at moments in our day where we're just calm and have that period of no thought. Reading the Tao Te Ching has been profoundly moving and insightful for me. I've been reading it at least over the last decade or longer. No, probably closer to 15 years. And I pick it up and I read a passage or I read three or four and I think about it because it helps me reframe my thoughts from being polarized to something more like the yin and the yang symbol and you you've seen this it's a circle and on the one side it's black and like a swirl it starts with sort of a tail at the end and goes almost towards like a tadpoleish roundish head with a white circle in it and on the opposing side it's white with a almost like an eye but in black and that shows the fluidity, the constant fluid dynamic of the yin and the yang. Because if you push or move in one direction, you cannot but affect the contents of the side you are coming from. There will always be a balance by being more of one thing on one side, and thus less of that opposite on the other side to different degrees. Now, When we are in the mindset that we are always fighting for our lives and fighting against something or someone, and this is not to diminish the violence or horror of real life struggle, we will forever support the tension of this situation or way of existing. Now, as challenging as this may sound, when we see the struggle, not as something to push back against but as an opportunity then we can see the situation more queerly then we can exercise our queer leadership muscles to find that balance of the actions we're going to take so to consider this possibility and to wrap up today's episode I want you to listen to me reading the 36th verse of the Tao Te Ching. Pick up a copy, read this, and meditate on this. This is my favorite translation. I find it's the most accessible by Stephen Mitchell. So this is the 36th verse of the Tao Te Ching. If you want to shrink something, you must first allow it to expand. If you want to get rid of something you must first allow it to flourish. If you want to take something, you must first allow it to be given. This is called the subtle perception of the way things are. The soft overcomes the hard. The slow overcomes the fast. Let your workings remain a mystery. Just show people the results. I would love to hear your thoughts, and I challenge you to think more queerly. Leave me a comment on the episode, blog post, show notes. Share this episode on your favorite social media platform. And until next time, think queerly.